Welcome back to Roshcast for episode 37. This week, we're continuing our collaboration with the EM Clerkship Podcast. We'll cover three EKG-related questions in addition to three randomly generated questions. Maybe we'll even get to a trauma question this week. I think you must be hinting at the trauma ringtone contest that we're in the middle of right now. As a reminder, listen closely for the trauma ringtone during this episode and the next episode. Email us at roshcast at roshreview.com or tweet us at roshcast the exact time of the ringtone to win a subscription. With the in-training exam right around the corner, this will certainly help you get ready for February 28th. All right, let's get going with a rapid review from a recent post on the Rosh Review blog. What's the most common type of pediatric elbow fracture? That would be a supracondylar fracture, typically caused by falling on an outstretched hand or a fouche. Which nerve is vulnerable in a posterolaterally displaced supracondylar humeral fracture, and how do you test this nerve's function? Posterolaterally, you should be concerned for the median nerve. This can be tested by asking the patient to make an OK sign and checking sensation at the volar tip of the index finger. And what about with posteromedially displaced supracondylar fractures? Here, you're worried about the radial nerve. Have the patient try to make a thumbs up sign and check sensation along the dorsal web space of the hand. If any of this was confusing, be sure to check out the image on the Roche blog. The pictures there are definitely helpful. Great warm up. While I'm loading up the first question for today, I have one more quick announcement. After the last question of this episode, we'll have some details about a special episode we're planning to close out 2017. So stay tuned because we need your help. Let's get started with the first question of the day. A previously healthy patient who presents with leg pain is found to have a clot within the tibial vein. Which of the following treatments is most likely indicated? Is it A, aspirin for six months, B, heparin and warfarin, C, repeat the ultrasound in two to five days, or D, warfarin alone? Not something we see every day, but definitely something we come across, especially as ultrasound becomes more readily available. Although controversial, the answer here is choice C, repeat the ultrasound in two to five days. That's correct, but why don't we simply anticoagulate them as the other answer choices suggest? To be perfectly honest, that is an option, and as I said earlier, this is a controversial topic. Current best evidence, however, recommends a repeat ultrasound in two to five days to assess for clot propagation. Up to 25% of isolated DVTs in the calf propagate proximally in hospitalized or post-operative patients, but these patients are of course at high risk. In our patient, who is noted to be previously healthy, The risk is far lower, so it's safe to discharge him and have him follow up. In choice A, aspirin alone, that's never recommended for an isolated thrombosis of the calf. Choice B, heparin is a bridge to warfarin, that's unnecessary for the reasons you just mentioned. In choice D, warfarin alone, that's typically started with another anticoagulant bridge because of the hypercoagulable state that occurs after initiating treatment with warfarin. I have one related question for you while we're on the topic of DVT. What is phlegmasia cerulean dolens? Phlegmasia cerulean dolens occurs when you have an extensive iliofemoral occlusion. This causes vascular congestion and venous ischemia that leads to a painful blue leg. Don't confuse this with phlegmasia alba dolens, or a painful white leg, which is caused by a massive iliofemoral thrombosis and spasm. Sounds familiar. Did we already discuss this on the Roshcast? We did indeed. Great memory. You're thinking of episode 10, which we released almost one year ago from today. So we've talked about it more on Roshcast than I've seen it clinically. Nice. Why don't you load up our first EKG question of the episode? Pay close attention because there's a lot of good stuff to review in this question. Which of the following is associated with a shortened PR interval? Is it A, Brugada syndrome, B, Mobitz type 2 AV block, C, Wellen syndrome, or D, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome? 
Of all those choices, I believe choice D, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, or WPW, is the only one that's associated with a shortened PR interval. That's correct, but I think it's worth going through the answers here one by one. Why don't you start with WPW, since that's the correct answer? Sure. WPW is a congenital condition in which there's an abnormal accessory conduction pathway. This pathway is also known as the bundle of Kent. Conduction through this pathway causes premature depolarization of the ventricles, bypassing the AV node. Since under normal physiologic conditions in a normal heart, the AV node delays depolarization. Depolarization via the accessory pathway causes an earlier depolarization of the ventricles, thus shortening the PR interval and resulting in an early QRS complex. Be on the lookout for EKGs with an upslope of the QRS complex, more commonly known as a delta wave, as well as a widened QRS beyond 120 milliseconds. Exactly, and while this finding alone isn't itself dangerous, it can lead to the development of tachydysrhythmias, commonly atrial fibrillation, and that can become hemodynamically unstable. Right, and I think it's also worth pointing out that conduction can travel either way through the accessory pathway, either through the AV node to the ventricles, then back up through the bundle of Kent to the atria before this repeats. This is known as orthodromic conduction. In contrast, in antidromic conduction, the impulse travels anterograde through the bundle of Kent, into the ventricles, then back up through the AV node into the atria. Check out the representative image we'll have up on the blog and in our Twitter handle as well. And let's go through the other answer choices here too, since these are all important EKG patterns to recognize in the ED. Choice A, Brugada syndrome, that's a hereditary condition characterized by a right bundle branch-like pattern with ST elevation and leads V1 through V3. Choice B, Mobitz type 2 AV block, that occurs when depolarizations from the atria are randomly blocked from conducting to the ventricles. This results in some P waves not being followed by QRS complex. As we said a few episodes back, this requires a pacer. And lastly, choice C, Wellens syndrome, that's caused by a critical stenosis of the proximal left anterior descending coronary artery. On EKG, you'll likely see a large inverted T waves or biphasic T waves in leads V2 and V3. Definitely something you don't want to miss. And to return to WPW for a second, don't forget that the definitive treatment is ablation. If they are hemodynamically unstable, patients in AFib with WPW should be cardioverted immediately. Procainamide can be used if they are in rapid AFib but are hemodynamically stable. All right, let's stick with EKGs for the next one as well. A 29-year-old man presents after a syncopal episode. His EKG reveals an epsilon wave, a small positive deflection buried in the end of the QRS complex. Which of the following tests will likely identify the cause of the patient's syncope? Is it A, cardiac catheterization, B, cardiac MRI, C, electrophysiology study, or D, stress testing. Certainly a lot to put together here. First, this guy has an epsilon wave, and we'll define that in a second, but epsilon waves are characteristic for arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, formerly called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. To diagnose this, you need choice B, a cardiac MRI. Great job putting it all together. So let's back up. An epsilon wave is a small positive deflection buried in the terminal QRS complex. As you said, this is seen in arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. It's caused by fibrofatty replacement of the myocardium of the right ventricle. This leads to scar formation and ultimately RV dilatation and acts as an arrhythmogenic focus within the RV. It can involve the LV as well, but the septum is usually spared. And this is just one of those important causes of sudden death in young people that you need to be aware of as an ED physician. Right, and remember that most patients remain clinically silent until they have an episode of dysrhythmia or in the worst case, sudden death. Patients may present with a variety of symptoms when they are symptomatic, including palpitations, syncope, chest pain, or shortness of breath. The most common dysrhythmia is VTAC. 
Unfortunately, only 30% of patients with arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy will have an epsilon wave in their EKG. Other EKG findings include QRS prolongation, a right bundle branch block, a prolonged S-wave upstroke, or inverted T-wave in leads V1 through V3. And as you said at the beginning of this question, it's diagnosed on cardiac MRI. Once you have the diagnosis, it can be treated with antiarrhythmics and an implantable cardiac defibrillator. Not something we see in every day, but certainly needs to be on your differential for syncope, especially in young people. Speaking of syncope, why don't you run through the classic syncope associations? Sure. In young athletes who syncopize, think hokum. In a young woman with abdominal pain and syncope, think ectopic pregnancy. In an older male with abdominal pain or flank pain and syncope, think AAA. A headache and syncope, think subarachnoid. With a prodrome of nausea, sweating, warmth, and then syncope, especially in women, that's classic vasovagal syncope. And lastly, with malignancy and syncope, think PE, especially with any respiratory complaints. Sorry to cut you off, but it looks like they're rolling a trauma into the PDR. A 12-year-old boy is brought in by EMS after being struck in the chest by a baseball. He collapsed immediately upon impact and has been unresponsive since. Which of the following dysrhythmias is most commonly associated with this condition? Is it A, asystole, B, SVT, C, ventricular fibrillation, or D, ventricular tachycardia? The answer here should be choice C, ventricular fibrillation. Well done. This is Commodio cordis. This most commonly occurs in children between 5 and 15 after blunt chest trauma. The post-blunt trauma rhythm is rarely captured, but when it has been, the most common rhythm is V-fib. Unfortunately, most of these patients don't survive. Don't forget, though, that this isn't simply any object randomly striking the chest. Usually it's a small, dense object, like a baseball, that directly impacts the chest over the heart. Timing is also key. The, quote, commodio cordis risk window is the upstroke of the T-wave in the cardiac cycle. Although our patient happened to be playing baseball, which is the sport most commonly associated with commodio cordis, it's also been reported in ice hockey, lacrosse, softball, and even fist fights. This is certainly a rare event with high mortality, but I wonder if the recent availability of public access to fibrillators has changed outcomes from this, since, as you know, the most common rhythm should be amenable to defibrillation. Interesting question, and I just looked it up. A 2013 study published in the Heart Rhythm Journal found increasing survival rates in Commodio cordis since 1970, and they certainly attribute it in part to the increasing availability of AEDs. I must have missed that issue of the Heart Rhythm Journal. Anyway, you're up for the next one. Removing from the heart to the eye. A 57-year-old man with hypertension presents complaining of a six-hour history of a floater in his right eye. He states that he has had increasing difficulty reading as the cloudy area blocks his visual field. Additionally, he complains of decreased vision in his right eye. Which of the following represents the appropriate management? Is it A, administer Timolol drops and emergently consult ophthalmology? Is it B, emergent ophthalmology consultation? Is it C, prescribe topical antibiotics and refer to ophthalmology? Or is it D, refer the patient to ophthalmology for further assessment? Floaters, decreased vision, cloudiness, this has to be either a posterior vitreous detachment or a retinal detachment. In either case, the patient will need choice B, an emergent ophthalmology consult. That's right. This is a posterior vitreous detachment, which occurs when the posterior vitreous separates from the retina, resulting in a vitreous degeneration and shrinkage. The patient may also have a retinal detachment as well, which can accompany a posterior vitreous detachment. This occurs about 14% of the time. Posterior vitreous detachments usually occur over weeks to months. Acute floaters or any acute change in vision, however, require emergent consultation as this can rapidly progress. 
With respect to the other answers, choice A, topical beta blockers like Timolol, those are used to treat acute angle closure glaucoma, which usually presents with acute change in vision, but it's associated with ocular pain. Choice C, antibiotics and referral, that's the correct treatment for a corneal abrasion. And lastly, choice D, non-emergent referral, that's acceptable for floaters that are stable or chronic. Let's close this episode out by changing gears entirely. A 27-year-old woman and her sister present with facial flushing, headache, abdominal cramping, and diarrhea after eating in a seafood restaurant. They report that the fish they ate had a peppery taste. Which of the following is the most likely cause of their symptoms? Is it A, anaphylaxis, B, cicatera, C, scombroid, or D, staph aureus food poisoning? Peppery taste, facial flushing, headache, cramping, and diarrhea. This has to be choice C, scombroid. That's right. Definitely check out episode 24 when we covered scombroid for the first time. Scombroid results when bacteria in improperly stored fish metabolizes histidine into histamine. It most commonly occurs in tuna, mackerel, and bonito. Symptom onset occurs anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes to as far as 24 hours after ingestion. This patient had almost all the classic symptoms, facial flushing, headache, cramping, and diarrhea. Palpitations and rashes can also occur. And management is supportive with H1 and H2 blockers as well as IV fluids as needed. The only other answer worth mentioning in further detail here is choice B, cigatera, since these two fish poisonings are often confused. Cigatera poisoning is caused by eating reef fish contaminated by a dinoflagellate, Gambardiscus toxicus, which produces cigatera toxin. Cigatera toxicity is associated with muscle weakness, paresthesias, vomiting, diarrhea, and reversal of hot-cold sensation. Always good to review these pearls as the in-training exam approaches. All right, let's close out this episode with a rapid review. Isolated thromboses of the calf veins can be managed by repeating an ultrasound in two to five days to determine the need for anticoagulation. Phlegmasia cerulean dolens is caused by an extensive iliofemoral occlusion, which leads to vascular congestion and venous ischemia and a painful blue leg. Phlegmasia alba dolens is caused by a massive iliofemoral thrombosis and spasm and leads to a white leg. WPW is a congenital abnormality characterized by an abnormal accessory conduction pathway between the atria and the ventricle, known as the bundle of Kent. Look out for a delta wave, short PR, and a widened QRS interval on EKG. The definitive treatment is ablation. Brugada syndrome is a hereditary condition characterized by a right bundle branch-like pattern with ST elevations and leads V1 through V3. Wellen syndrome is caused by critical stenosis of the proximal LAD. On EKG, you'll likely see a large inverted T wave or biphasic T waves in V2 and V3. Epsilon waves, which are small positive deflections buried in the terminal QRS complex, are characteristic of arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. It's diagnosed by cardiac MRI. Arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy is treated with antiarrhythmics and an implantable cardiac defibrillator. Commodio cordis occurs when an object strikes the chest over the heart. It can cause sudden death. Commodio cordis is most common in children 5 to 15 years old, and ventricular fibrillation is the most common underlying rhythm. The Commodio cordis risk window is the upstroke of the T wave in the cardiac conduction cycle. Posterior vitreous detachment can cause floaters, decreased vision, and cloudiness. Acute changes warrant emergent ophthalmology consultation. Scombroid poisoning presents with facial flushing, headache, abdominal cramping and diarrhea, palpitations, and rashes. Onset of symptoms can be anywhere from 10 minutes to 24 hours. Treatment is supportive with H1 and H2 blockers. 
Cigatera toxicity is associated with muscle weakness, paresthesias, vomiting, diarrhea, and reversal of hot-cold sensation. All right, so that wraps up Roshcast episode 37. And before we officially sign off for this week, we wanted to solicit your help for an upcoming episode. Very soon, we're bringing Adam Rosh, the founder of Rosh Review, onto the podcast to discuss everything from study tactics to his favorite pretest meal. We have a few of our own questions lined up, but we want to know what questions you have. Send any questions for Adam to me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at roshreview.com, and we'll try to squeeze them all in. That's it for this week. Be sure to also check out the blog for questions from this episode and prior episodes, related images and tables, as well as bonus teaching points. There are also tons of other great free resources there to help prepare you for the boards and the words. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Roshcast and at Rosh Review. And you can always email us at Roshcast at RoshReview.com with any feedback, corrections, or suggestions. You can also help us pick questions by identifying ones you would like us to review. Write Roshcast in the submit feedback box as you go through the question bank. Lastly, if you have a minute, make sure to rate us and leave comments on iTunes to help spread the word about Roshcast. We'll be back soon with more high-quality rapid review. 